This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AmbaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Amba community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I am chatting with Chris Karras. Chris is the director of the Driver's License Division in the state of Utah. Chris, welcome to your first appearance on the AmbaCast. Thank you, Ian. I asked Chris to come and chat with me. We didn't really have this big agenda, but Utah has been doing some neat, innovative things, uh, many of which were spurred out of the pandemic, like many jurisdictions have learned and figured out, we're going to keep this. Um, I think some of the exciting things in Utah is what were maybe an immediate reaction now became projects, big projects, initiatives that's really shifting the way the agency is is moving forward. So I guess before we talk about the, the specifics, I know there's a number of them we said we would chat about. Talk to me about your view of that shift, of how it went from we have to just do things and do them fast to react, to how that then started shifting to say, okay, this is, this is a new way of doing business. You know, that, that's uh, a really good question. We, we had been discussing several things um, for a number of years, but never really had a window of an opportunity to implement them, such as going to an appointment-based model with people being able to schedule their own appointments. I was glad we had some of those discussions on some of those initiatives prior to COVID, but you're right. We had to act, we had to act fast. And, um, you know, in in a strange way, COVID, I think, did Utah, and I think a lot of jurisdictions, a lot of favors in that it brought out the creativity in our staff and um, some things worked, some things didn't. Now we're at a stage where we can really refine those wins and keep them in place. Um, it, it's amazing to me, I see my agency as being in a better posture ever mm-hmm. the, uh, to, to really provide excellent service. Some of it was because of those quick off the cuff uh, adjustments that we had to make. Mm. So one of them is appointments. Now, you're not appointment only anymore, or are you appointment only? No, we are appointments primarily, but we accept walk-in traffic. Um, Our ability to uh, meter people through the office helped us capitalize on the resources that we have available, but some of that actually bought us more time and a little bit of wiggle room to get people in as they walk in. who, who didn't maybe go to the effort of making an appointment online. But we have been very lucky to have a very high adoption rate of making appointments and, and appearing on that schedule. And then there was also, not unlike a lot of places, this shift to the online transaction and online portal work, I think is, you know, or the online, uh, the app is, you know, digital application as I think Utah has been tackling it. Um, Talk to me about, you know, what was there kind of pre-COVID and then how it got kind of hyper-developed? Pre-COVID, it was paper. Pen and paper has to be black ink so we can scan it and and see the image. Um, Post-COVID, we learned very quickly that we needed to streamline everything that could be streamlined. 
So we have stood up a digital application that ties into the scheduling process. So when you go on to our website to make an appointment, the first thing it's going to ask you to do is actually fill in the, the, the digital application. And then it uploads that so that at the time you appear for your service, the examiner at the front lines can download that and really focus only on the things that changed. We've already vetted you in most cases. Um, and so the information just needs to be refreshed. And if there are any concerns about any of the changes that are made, like if an address changed, then obviously we do what the appropriate vetting there. Uh, but it, that process alone of having that digitized application available to the examining staff um, brought down our face-to-face -face time from about eight minutes down to five minutes. So cutting off those three extra minutes uh, was huge, but it also let us kind of change the focus of our examining staff a little bit, moving away from the data entry and more into the examiner role, looking for those traffic safety uh, issues that need to be addressed or being able to go more deeply into a record and, and work effectively with the citizens that way. And in terms of any of the supporting documents that a driver applicant has to bring, is any of that available for them to upload in advance, or is it only the, the actual application form and then everything else is still the, the manual process? Currently, it's, it's only the application form itself, uh, for, but it does provide us an opportunity to give them a list of any of the documents that we know we're going to need to see to process their transaction as well. Uh, one of the enhancements we have in mind is looking at how could they scan and, and pre-populate the documents, but that's, that's an enhancement to the system. We don't have that currently in place. Did you build this all internally? Yes, we have an excellent uh, development staff. I'm, I'm very lucky that way. So we, we do a lot of our processes internally, and, and uh, that was just one of the things they stood up for us quickly. Uh, what else is already up and running? I know you got something about to come. I'm holding that. I'm going to get there. But what else is already up and running? We talked about appointments. You got the digital application. What, what's next on that list? Uh, one of the other things we tried to do was streamline the uh, the knowledge testing uh, process through our offices. So again, internally, we had a developer who wrote a knowledge testing system, and it had a lot of similar functionality to some of those that we had. Ex experienced outside but the advantage that we found was that it is fully integrated into our system so there was no need to to switch between applications that all the information went directly into the system but also it even went to the to the point where it will pull the photograph um, that's on the record and show who should be sitting at every kiosk within the office so those examiners that are monitoring the testing area know exactly who should be sitting where. Uh, it just added a lot of functionality from to the examiner standpoint that we were able to do freely because it was an in-house system. How did examiners respond to that? They were ecstatic. Uh, we, we have had good systems in the past, but uh, this one they had a lot of uh, direct input into. So. I think they, they felt like they were heard and validated and they saw the end product uh, and they've been extremely pleased with it. And so you're coming up on a new enhancement that you're going to be rolling out soon uh, related to interactions with doctors. Yes. 
One of the, the things we've struggled with for years is obtaining information in a timely manner for medical, from medical professionals with regards to drivers. It's really the only reason why we still own a fax machine is because of the security concerns a lot of times with emailing those types of documents. Uh, so we have under development right now, it's going into testing and, and a pilot phase soon, uh, a, a portal where a doctor can log in to submit those, those documents to us directly. One of the enhancements that will be coming is the ability for the citizen to actually go online as well and verify that their doctor submitted the information. But initially, it's a program that's designed where the doctor can log in. Only a, a medical doctor can submit the form, but he can also grant access to his staff to fill out the form, submit it to him for final review, and then he reviews it and submits it directly to the agency. So. We're hoping to, to mitigate the problem we've had in the past where the time lag between when a doctor signs or fills out the certificate and when we receive it often resulted in a, a period of denial for the driver. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a redundant effort on our part. It was futile to take an action against somebody who really had complied. Mm -hmm. So we see it as a real win-win and just another example of how technology is solving a lot of these long-standing issues. Now, I'm sure we've got some listeners who don't live and breathe the driver licensing process and are probably wondering, you know, I've never had to have my doctor communicate with the driver licensing agency. Um, since you have such a deep background driver licensing agency, I'm going to take advantage to ask you to help me educate our listeners um, why would, obviously there is medical certification for commercial drivers, but we're talking about something different and broader here as it relates to doctors interacting with the driver licensing agencies. Um, wh what are the forms? Why do drivers need their doctors talking to you? So we have a medical advisory board that advises me as the director of the agency on medical issues that could be problematic or create a, a safety concern for drivers. And so we only track um, medical conditions that the medical board has identified. So they, they could range from uh, a pulmonary condition that could be problematic to a, a functional ability or muscular skeletal type of condition. But when a, a driver comes in uh, to apply for their license, we have a brief medical questionnaire that just asks them if they have any of these conditions. If they indicate that they do, then we ask them to work with their doctor to provide us with the necessary information to screen it and verify whether is, th is this something that we should be concerned about or is, is it something that we really don't need to be tracking. If the doctor indicates that the person's profile is at a, a specific level that's identified by guidelines put out by the medical advisory board, then we will notify them periodically as to what information we may need to have refreshed to make sure that there's not a concern or, or a problem with their driving privilege at all. So working with the, the medical community, you know, obviously, you, like you said, you had to keep the fax machine because that's how they needed to contact with you. You're going to build this portal, open the portal. What's your sense of their ability now to transition on their side? Are, are the doctors ready to transition to this 
online portal or are they still going to be you know where's where's the fax number <laughs> that that is the grand question who's going to adopt it and are we going to build it if we build it will they, will they come, come? Yeah. yeah um so we've we've been reaching out to the medical community for about a year and a half through this development process trying to get their feedback and i will say that it's kind of mixed um you know i i think many in that community as doctors um have a limited level of patience for the minutia of filling out extra forms and going through all of that. They're not always excited about that. But I there's I, some irony there that the doctors are frustrated about filling out forms. I mean, anyone <laughs> who goes to a doctor's office, I mean, really, the sympathy there is a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. But I will say, a lot of them, we've been getting very positive feedback because they have concerns as well about making sure that as they try to assist their clients, that the information is getting where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think the majority of the feedback we get is that, yes, it will probably take some time for get them to all come on board, um, but most of them have been very positive towards it. We had, uh, actually, we have one clinic that immediately said, hey, we want to be in your pilot, your beta testing. We want to be able to see this. Um, we've had several doctors reach out to us saying they wanted to be part of that. Um, that, that really encouraged me. But yeah, that is the grand challenge, is, is making sure that we effectively work with them to get that adoption rate. And I, did you, in doing that, as opposed to transmitting via fax, did you have to do any research as related to HIPAA compliance, and did it mean to send things electronically versus a fax, or is that a rabbit hole that you know uh, nobody should go down <laughs> well our developing development team did yeah. uh, address that concern uh, because where they're submitting the information is secured behind firewalls that that we have the control over um, I was advised that that there wasn't any longer a concern that way yeah. and, and really when we look at um, the increase in security of sending it that direction versus the archaic fax or if a paper's left sure. laying out buy a fax machine it's sitting on it yeah yep. so um those concerns were relieved fairly early on in the process Good. so you feel like it's it's ready to roll it's gonna go live soon with it without any hiccups or bumps oh i wish i believed <laughs> there were no hiccups or bumps but i'm too old and too great and <laughs> to to believe that no, I, I think the real challenge is going to be um, really continuing the discussion with the medical community because not only are they adopting this system, but will it work for their workflow within their office? And that's so varied that um, trying to find that balance that will, will work ideally for them. Right now, like I mentioned, it really is, since we know it needs to be authorized by the doctor, but we know they're not the ones always filling out the form. Are they going to like what we are proposing in the way of the doctor issuing a, a token, if it were, to allow other people to complete the form, but he's the only one could submit it? Uh, that's something that as soon as we can get deeper into the testing, I'm very interested in finding out their feedback on. So what else? What's after the, the medical portal? Oh, boy. Um, we... One of the things we're really proud of that, again, we developed in-house is our uh, skills testing on 
on tablets. Uh, we're actually waiting in the wings, hoping that we will hear information about the new t CDL testing model so that as soon as it's authorized or, or we know what the model really truly is, that we can get that immediately put on our, our skills testing tablets and we can get the full benefit that we get from testing on the tablets for auditing and statistical gathering, those types of things. So we're really looking forward to that. We, uh, we have a project underway where we're going to put forward-facing touchscreen tablets at each one of our windows to increase the applicant's ability to change or update data right there at the terminal to review what's what we have finally and say if it's not correct tell us now before we produce a card but also to better facilitate voter registration and and a lot of those types of initiatives so the only thing that really held us up on that is the supply chain issues with computer technology chips those types of things uh, so it took us quite a while to actually get the hardware but we're on the cusp of being able to get that out we we it's, it's just been a fantastic and dynamic time the last couple of years. Adapting. So in a state like Utah, how, what's, what's the scope of a project like that? How many, how many branches do you operate? How many tablets does that mean for how many windows? You know, I'm, I'm sure everyone knows you know, so many jurisdictions are different in scale and sizes. You know, just in this case study, what, what, what are we talking about in Utah? We have 29 off field offices across the state. Intake windows were just shy of 300. And so that's kind of the scope of it. Um, yeah, we are a moderately sized state, uh, but uh, I hope that answers your question. It, it does. I mean, I think, you know, well, it's, it's in a state like Utah, which in land is not moderate at all, <laughs> yet in that scale of offices, employees, population you're serving, you know, it falls into that kind of, kind of range. So I think that's insightful for people to know and put context in. So speaking of which, speaking of Utah, uh, you are also the current president of Region 4 for the second time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a frequent flyer. <laughs> no, I, I, I am. I'm happy to uh, represent Region 4. It's been an honor to serve in that both times. Yes. And we're looking forward to hosting the Region 4 conference. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about, give you a chance to, you know, maybe uh, make, make the pitch, make the promo for people to, to come to Utah. Yeah, it's been a couple of years ago at the regional conference where we passed out compasses with the tagline, find yourself in Utah next year. If you've still got your compass, they should still hopefully work. And we're hoping that a lot of people will uh, join us in the conference. Uh, I've been working with Julie Knittle, and she's been working obviously with the conference team. And everything that I've seen to this point is that they are a very highly energized and and creative team and i really believe that the conference is going to be full of uh of content that's timely mm -hmm. and conferences are always full of the opportunity to network yeah. and the benefit of that is is immense and i'm i'm really really crossing all the digits that nothing interferes with our ability to be in face-to-face. Yeah. yeah, I think people, uh, you know, you, so you don't know this because you're just listening and not seeing us, but, you know, as I've said on previous episodes, as is the case here, I'm uh, excited to be able to be in the room with my guests. Uh, Chris and I are happy to be attending a, a 
unrelated meeting, the same meeting in San Diego, California, and we're able to get together and do this in person, which I think you're right. I think you're not the only one keeping everything crossed and hoping for the best that we are continuing on the trajectory we're on and uh, don't find ourselves with another curveball again. Assuming that's the case, the backdrop of Provo, Utah, which I don't, you know, most people think of Utah, you know, Salt Lake City, Park City, maybe even down the southern part of the state with the national parks. I don't know that Provo is the first location that jumps everybody's mind. Exactly. Provo is, it's about uh, roughly 40 miles south of Salt Lake City. Uh, Provo is a moderate-sized city. In fact, they like to say that they're big enough to be urban, but small enough to be homey or okay. you know, a, yep. kind of atmosphere. And it really is that. The thing that uh, Utah County is kind of my home base has been for 50 plus years. I won't admit <laughs> how, how many, but um, it, it's very picturesque. It's surrounded by seven mountain peaks that all loom uh, over 10,000 feet. And you're within... Uh, just a brief distance, whether by car or by bike, to get right to the base of the mountains or in some great hiking and and uh, outside activities. So I'm hoping that people will have a chance to come and see that. Um, June should be a, a fantastic time of year to be there, still cool enough uh, to, to be enjoying the outside before it hits the 100-plus temperatures. Um, so should be well-timed. Uh, Provo is uh, a, unique in a lot of ways. Um, if people enjoy golfing, I think Utah County has 10 plus courses that are all within uh, very close distance to the to the Provo Conference, there, there should be a lot to offer. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So 50 plus years, we won't say what the plus is. So you're a Utah native or not exactly? For the, for the most part. Okay. I was actually born in Texas, but I was raised in Utah. I was uh, from a military family, so we had that transient nature for a period of time. And you've been with the driver's license division for most of those 50 years? <laughs> <laughs> a, a good majority of them. I am pushing close to my 30-year mark. Yeah. Uh, hired on as a frontline examiner, and I, I think I I mentioned to you in a previous discussion, I still kind of see myself as an examiner and sometimes just uh, feel lucky to be where I'm at. But also, I think having the perspective of that front line examiner has helped me immensely mm -hmm. throughout my career. Yeah, I, I bet. Uh, could you go back and give an exam today? A skills test, I would, I would, not, uh, I would not give a thought to. I could jump in a car and conduct a still skills test. We've changed a lot of the computer functions for the process of issuing some of the things, and I, I'm not sure if I would do a whole lot of uh, favors to the office if I made them clean up my mess. Um, I know, you know, I, I, that's one thing that I'm hoping I can get maybe a little bit more experience on is some of the updated computer processes, but. I would love to get back in a car or a truck, yeah. and that was always my favorite part of the job. Well, you know, you know, with the test modernization for the CDL piece, you know, there's going to be all these updated examiner training that's going to have to happen. So we'll just have to make sure you're in one of those examiner training update classes. I, w I would love to. In fact, we'd love to have it happen in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> we'd love to host it. It just might be, be in play. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, uh, Chris, as you come, kind of came up and grew up through the driver's license 
Uh, what were some of the other stops along the way? I mean, obviously you didn't go from being an examiner to being the, the director. What were some of your other career stops? It might be easier to list the ones I didn't. Because <laughs> I, I really did. I, I was an examiner. I was an office supervisor. I was an area manager. But as, as an office supervisor, I always also had the responsibility to hold administrative hearings with regards to any actions we take. And as a manager, one of my other duties assigned was to be a founding member of our administrative reconsideration board that really delved more deeply into any challenges to those administrative proceedings. Uh, I was the driver services bureau chief, then the deputy director, and then uh, appointed as the director. So uh, it's been amazing the opportunities that that exam frontline examiner job turned into. But I was very blessed to have people who uh, I worked with who were willing to give me a shot and, and, and let me um, have an opportunity to, to move through those ranks. Uh, I've seen that uh, being in a position for a period of time, um, you think you're very productive, but then when you move on to the next position and you see the per person who comes in behind you, I've seen how fresh ideas can, can spark interest. Uh, but I think, I like to think that the experience of moving through all those positions also helps me guide the people who move into those positions a little bit. Oh, without a doubt. And I think we, we are all benefiting from that holistic experience you have because, you know, we mentioned the Region 4 role, but you're, you're chair of the State-to-State -State Governance Committee, you're on the International Board of Directors, you're on the um, Compact's Executive Board. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting things. I know you've done other things in the past. You've been chair of our Driver Standing Committee in past years. Uh, so we all get to benefit from that, that journey you've been on. Well, perhaps I'm the bad penny am that can't get rid of. I, <laughs> I don't know, but I, I have I've loved it. Uh, my first uh, interaction really with AMVA was when I got my IDEC examiner pin in 1993. And uh, again, that's one thing that my predecessors really gave me an opportunity to be active in, in AMVA, and it's been uh, a great experience for me. And I hope I've contributed along the way. Well, this isn't a retirement episode. We're not, we're not no. doing anything of that right now. Um, you, you've still got a lot more to contribute, especially with all those roles that we mentioned. And the, the new Digital Trust Service Steering Committee. We're just going to keep adding to your AMVA to-dos because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say you're the lucky penny that we're happy to always have in our pocket. Well, thank you. Right. And I, I hope that I won't be voted off the island. <laughs> I, I enjoy it all way too much. Well, Chris, thanks for chatting with me a little bit today. I know everyone enjoys hearing a little bit what's going on in Utah, a little bit of the Chris Karras story. Um, so thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you, Ian. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Until next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.